0: Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. Today, I'm with Allison Yasukawa and Juan Carlos Rodriguez-Riviera, and they will be discussing international and multilingual students at art and design schools. Allison Yasukawa is a visual artist and educator. She holds an MFA in Studio Art and an MA in TESOL in Applied Linguistics. In her studio practice, she explores asymmetrics of power and imagined geographies in interactional spaces ranging from the personal to the global. Yasukawa's pedagogy focuses on the studio and academic classes in English for art and design. She is the director of English language learning at the California Institute of the Arts and has been presented nationally and internationally on art language overlaps and in critique instruction, student autonomy and multilingualism as a creative resource. Juan Carlos Rodriguez-Riviera is a queer Boricua visual communicator and educator, passionate about food, lover of gradients, and anything with glitter. Juan was born and raised in Catano, the small town of Puerto Rico, but relocated to San Francisco, California in 2017. Juan's work focuses on challenging colonial perspectives and design from the point of view of a Boricua diaspora. Juan Carlos is an assistant professor in the Design Department at California College of Arts and holds an MFA in Communications Designs from Pratt Institute in New York. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So, Juan Carlos,
1: we're talking about um, international students, um, multilingual students. Um, So I was thinking maybe we should start with some definitions to get folks all on the same page as us. Um, do you want to do you want to start with either talking about either of those?
2: I think you should start. And now you want to start?
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so um, I think international students—that's uh, that's sort of the most well-known term. Um, so, for international students, we're talking about students who have come to the U.S. Um, and they're here on student visas. Um, but uh, I think the thing that um, often gets masked when we talk about international students is that there's an assumption that the all of their experiences prior to arriving at school are kind of the same, right? When actually, um, for some international students, this is the 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 their very first time in the U.S. Um, you know, some may arrive. Uh, a week or so before school starts. Um, But for other students, um, they may have studied in the U.S. previously, either in high school, or they may have done a study abroad program for a couple months, or they may even have studied at a community college or even have a previous degree. Um, So I think one of the one of the challenges with that term is that the because students are coming with all of these different experiences, they have sort of um, different ways of relating to this uh, the art and design context.
2: Yeah, and I wanna I wanna add when the I like to expand the definition of international students, and I do this thinking about myself, right? Because I am a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. but coming from Puerto Rico the cultural shock and the difference of coming to another country when I went to study in New York, I, it was a moment where i like, okay, I'm an international student in the context of the language and the culture. Uh-huh. Right? So I like to span that. And I also include my multilingual students that even though they grew up in the United States, right. maybe English is their second language or their third right. language right. because their family has raised them to speak their, uh, whatever Spanish first as the main right. language in the house. And right. I, I like to include those into the category of what international students or monolingual students are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, multilingual students are in the context of the US education.
1: Right, right, yeah, so so that's, that's an important distinction I think also about um, who we're talking about when we're talking about multi-ling- multilingual students, right? Because there's the kind of relationship between Uh, citizenship status and um, language proficiency isn't one-to-one, right? Just like you said, there could be um, somebody who's born in the U.S. but has grown up uh, with a home language other than English, right? There could be somebody who's uh, a a U.S. resident, so somebody who's here on a green card, right, who um, speaks one language at home and another language at school, um, and a mix of both with their friends, right? There, or also, um, and this is why the two terms don't always overlap, right? There could also be international students who have come from an in, in, in English-speaking country in an English-speaking context, right? So we have international students from the UK, international students from India, from Kenya, from other places where um, English is, is the official language. Right, so th- so there's a lot of variety in within both of these categories. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, but
2: I, I do want to start with, and that's something that happens to me, and especially because I'm teaching now and working with the first-year students. Yeah. And I want to start talking about that moment when they arrive, right? Right. That cultural shock, and I'm talking about international students that come to the U.S. for the first time. Mm-hmm. And they're they're in college now. They're in design school, right? And there's the, what we are expect. What a lot of people are expecting of them is so foul It's so founded on bias and stereotypes uh-huh. that it starts driving what they start creating in design school. Uh-huh. Right? Because they're everyone's looking at them in a certain way, so uh-huh. they start creating in that way. And uh-huh. I I just want to know if this is something that happens when you are working in south california
1: yeah i mean i think i think that they're um, it's it sort of in my experience it kind of cuts both ways right where either um they're expected like a chinese student is expected to make chinese art right or to or to bring like the chinese art perspective i'm making air quotes <laughs> um whatever that means or or also if if the work is more air-co- sort of too Chinese, then there's sort of no way for um, the assumption is that there's that there's no way for people to engage with it in a U.S. context. Right. So it's sort of like their work isn't relevant because it's not doing um what it's expected to be doing from from a certain very limited perspective on um, what this identity is about, right? So, so this question of sort of like um, who has authority to sort of access particular themes, or or not even access, but like um, you know make work about, or or um, really like you know generate questions about content about. Um, particular ideas, I think, gets um, heavily or can can get heavily racialized in these contexts, and sort of you know caught up in who we think these students are and what we think they know.
2: Rachel Berger, which is the person, one yeah. of the things that she said on the, one of the first meetings that to me was really powerful is that she was telling the faculty that we're not dealing with a language barrier but we're dealing with a cultural shock and a cultural barrier from the international students. And a lot of the faculty were just focusing on like, Oh, this is a, this is just something that has to do with English being their second language from a lot of international students. Mm -hmm. And then we start, we needed to start expanding on this has to do with many things, right? Mm -hmm. This is their culture. This is their language. This is their identity. Like Mm -hmm. they're, these people, a lot of the students are experiencing these cultural shocks for the first time. Mm-hmm. And we can, it, it's, it's not fair to reduce them into just language.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, and I, think, I think taking into consideration both that um, language can be a factor, cultural shifts can be a factor, and, and you know, um, what, what the sort of like uh, language world talks about is individual differences. So it's sort of like, you know, personal characteristics, like how, do, how motivated is this student versus this other student? You know, how much do they care about this particular class or how much sleep did they get the night before? You know, like what else was going on? Just like pr- things that all students are dealing with, right? Um, all of these things in combination are, are um, involved in a student's experience at school. Right, which, which is not, not a profound statement, but I think that it's, um, like you said, oftentimes international students and multilingual students um, uh, that their um, sort of identities as international or multilingual become the cause or become uh, uh, sort of the only reason for why a certain thing is true, right? So um, I hear oftentimes from faculty things like, um, you know, like well, all the Asian students are quiet in class, and it's it's really important that we that we work with them so that they can learn how to um, participate, and and sort of the 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 rest of the sentence that's not not said is sort of like participate like they're supposed to participate like we expect American students to, um, but I think that you know the reason. <laughs> The reason a student might not be participating could have many uh, causes, right so it it could be it could be this um, the, the cultural shift that you're talking about, right It could be that and language and not not necessarily um, language in the in the sort of context of like uh, a binary between I speak this language or I don't speak this language, but if you're if you're communicating in a language that's not your primary language, or not your mother tongue, right, um, the, the cognitive loader, the, the demands on you cognitively are different than if you're communicating in your primary language, right? So things like um, how, much, how much time are we allowing, are we as faculty allowing students to process information, before they speak, right, that that's that's about language, but it's not a question of, do you know this vocabulary word or not, right? It's more a question of, um, I want to think through, so in a critique setting, right, so I want to think through how I'm responding to this work, and then I'm going to put it into this language that we're, that's sort of our shared communicative uh, mode in this class, which is English, right? Um, so I'm doing two things simultaneously, right? So I'm thinking about what my response is to this piece, and also how do I conjugate that verb? What's that vocabulary word that I kind of remember, right? So if you're, if, you're, if you're sort of managing both things simultaneously, you're gonna need a little bit more time to, to do that work. Right. And, and I think um, and then and then also, like you said, like if there are um, if students are sort of feeling potentially uncomfortable or out of place or even excited or, you know, if, if they're if they're sort of out of out of a cultural context in which they're more comfortable, that's another layer. And then also if they I keep going to sleep because we're talking about art students. <laughs> right. So if they went to bed at three in the morning and your class is at nine in the morning, you know, sort of like all of these factors together are influencing what a student's experience is like in the classroom.
2: Yeah, and I think I think, uh, when the, it becomes problematic when we want the students to participate in just one way, right? right it exactly. is expect, it, it's really problematic to expect from the students that they have to talk and right. be outspoken about issues. Because uh-huh. then we're asking a diverse group of students to assimilate to a way of learning, a right. way of learning and a way of participating right. that is a colonial way of learning,
1: right? Uh-huh.
2: So, and it's something that I keep asking myself and I don't have the answers, but I keep working with my students, like, how do I allow for participation with different methods and methodologies mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is not only about speaking? Right. and that are more inclusive to a diverse range of students and diverse mm-hmm. in not in ethnic identity only, but a diverse right. in ways of learning and mm-hmm. way, ways of participating and way of collaborating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I feel like most syllabi have a line in, in there, in, the, in the, the grading section about participation, right? Participation is important and may or may not define what participation means. Um, but it usually it usually involves contributing in speech to the class discussion, right? So, and and one thing that I think about a lot is um, the difference between um, participation uh, as sort of understood through that lens, which I think is a very common way that we think about participation in in art and design schools and really in in higher ed, I would say, kind of across the board in the US. Um, But that also, how can we think about, um, so if we change the term to engagement, for for me, this is helpful, right? So if I think about like, what does an engaged student look like in class? Then there are other other kind of signs that I can uh, look for, other than just how much is that student talking? Right, because because the other thing the other thing about it is that if we're expecting that talking equals participation, right, then students and this is also something that I talk a lot with um, with multilingual students about um, and and students who are sort of new to an American art school context, right, that if the goal is is just to speak, um, that that Students in a way we're training our students just to stay stuff, not necessarily good quality things, right? Not necessarily, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so there's a so then what happens? Um, one one of the sort of conventions of art school is that people will say a lot of stuff and talk for a long time, um, but they might what they're saying may or may not be useful or relevant, or which is something that happens, you know, just sort of um, in, in all contexts with spontaneous speech, right? Because you're just producing it in the moment. But I think there's a way that that happens in art school where um, particularly students who are new to this context and um, who haven't used English in this particular way, sort of, it, it can be very overwhelming. Because if my assumption is I need to work really hard to make sure that I'm understanding everything that this person is saying. And if I don't understand what they're saying, it can't be because what they said doesn't make any sense. It has to be because it's my fault or it's my, that the comprehension is all on me, right? And I, so, so I think one of the things that I really um, uh, work a lot with my students on is sort of like understanding what are these sort of effects of these conventions of art school speech and then how did they how can they sort of claim agency in this space right so how can a student say what does it mean to say oh actually maybe i didn't understand what that student was saying because they actually weren't making a lot of, what they said actually didn't make a lot of sense right mm-hmm. so that so that the so that the communicative burden doesn't fall only on the international student or the multilingual student um, themselves, right? So that is that is more about emphasizing that communication happens in an exchange, right, between two or or more people.
2: But a lot of the times, I feel like my English-speaking students are ready to work with the students
0: mm-hmm.
2: that that just came to the U.S. and mm-hmm. they, they have they have no. Like I have seen them, it's okay for them to repeat themselves many times if the, mm-hmm. word, is, the word that they're saying is not coming through. If they uh-huh. want to help someone translate something and then, they, then someone's translating their own name to Mandarin and these exchanges start happening between the right. students. But right. I feel like I get a lot more, uh, like from the faculty, a lot more, I don't know what the word is, but like, no, they have to assimilate. No,
1: uh-huh, uh-huh, they have
2: uh-huh. to, to have a better English. I get Uh that more from the faculty than from the students that are... I don't want to use the word native because I shouldn't, but... uh, Students that speak English as a mother tongue, right? Uh
1: uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I don't
2: know if that happens to you. I just have uh, more clashes with other faculty that I have with the collaboration and the conversation between the students.
1: Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Um, I mean, I've had... uh... I I definitely know the response that you're talking about. And I think it's really interesting because in my experience, that kind of response from faculty can come from uh, sort of a number of different places, right? So I think um, one of the sort of justifications that I've heard for that kind of response is is, is actually about um, ideas around professionalization. Because these students are here, we have accepted the responsibility to prepare them to go out into the world, uh, and and into even like a, an, an English-speaking world, English-dominant uh, context like the U.S. Um, or you know the U.S. in certain <laughs> certain ways, um, <laughs> to say uh, that um, you know, in order for this student to, we need to prepare the student right to to be a professional to get a job. In order for them to be professional and to have this kind of work, they need to. Demonstrate a certain level of proficiency, both as in their fields as artists and designers and whatever, um, but also with the language, right? So, so in that in that perspective, I think it um, the motivation for faculty is that sort of like this is my my responsibility is to my students, and this is a this is something that I think that they will need. Um, once they leave here. But I think the, the gap in that perspective is that the purpose of school then is to provide a place for, for instruction and development, right? So, yeah. so if, we, if we look at it like from a, say, say drawing, right? So uh, I expect that my students um, are going to be able to produce um, realistic, like photorealistic, uh, life drawing, but I'm never going to work. There's never going to be instruction about how to do it. Um, there's never going to be any time really to practice it. They're just going to be, um, expected to produce this kind of work with no space for training or development. Um, and, and I think often that that's that that's what happens in an art school context. And I think the other thing about it is that multilingual students who are at art and design school are in these institutions primarily to be artists and designers, right? So there, it's not these programs that have um, language instruction, like that's not the primary purpose of that institution, right? So, if, if students are expected to perform at a certain level um, of English proficiency, but that's not the level that they are arriving with, and there's little to no instruction happening in their programs, then, then that's, not, that's not a fair sort of request, to say it nicely, mm-hmm. or demand, to say it a little, <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> severely, that, that, that's being placed on them as students.
2: Yeah. No. And then I think what what's funny about that is uh this this is the moment where my accent became something to engage to um, like engage with the students uh-huh. because a lot of the time the students the multilingual inter, multilingual and international students yeah come to come to my class or come to any class uh-huh. and they in their they have this preset condition that their English is not as good as the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. So when they hear me talk with my super thick Caribbean accent and I tell them my story and how I learned English and uh-huh. when I learned English when I was 18 years old yeah. and then I'm here, I'm teaching you and working together and uh-huh. they're like, oh my God. Uh-huh. And they start feeling more comfortable. And uh-huh. it's that moment uh-huh. where, where the accent, which was something that people were making fun of, right. becomes a tool for them to, to feel like, oh yeah, I can, I, right. I'm on the same level as everyone else. I don't right, have to start with right. everyone else. Right. And I think that's like, it's so powerful. I think, And that's where I get confused with, and I understand, but that's when I think the intentions are not the only thing that matter. Because right? Right. someone's intention is to, for the students to get out of school and have proficiency in English and get, be ready for the, for the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. But by setting that standard, you're already telling them that their English level is not as good as the one out there. Right. So you are already putting them on a lower position. Absolutely. And that's that's not good. Mm-hmm. I want them to start thinking that their proficiency is good. And right. we're gonna keep working on it. We're gonna develop more vocabulary. We're right. gonna develop new ways of engaging. Right. That doesn't come that, that has nothing to do with your English ba- being less than the other thing. You also have to learn how to engage, how to use language, how to do how to talk about your design and your art with vocabulary that build that's part of the design sign our world. You know what right. I mean? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think, I think, I mean, this is, um, I think that that our the context of being in the U.S., um, where um, we're we're not, uh, and again, this is not not sort of all all of the U.S., not everywhere in the U.S., but but I would say, sort of, dominant U.S. culture um, is is very monolingual. Right. So I would say sort of, again, dominant culture, U.S., um, it's more common for people to only speak English than to speak uh, a second or, you know, third, fourth language. Right. And and so I think that's important because um, a lot of the expectations that we have that we sort of place on our students and expectations about sort of what it means to speak a language come from a monolingual ideology. And it sets up this sort of false dichotomy between um, the native speaker as the person who has mastered the language, Mm -hmm. right? And the English learner, the language learner, who is always in the process of learning, right? So if and and that there's a that one who has mastery never needs to learn and one who is always learning can never have mastery right which which again is is not how language lo- works and um i think you you're you're right to point out that um, one of the things that we're doing, not just for our multilingual student population, but for all students, is that they they are learning a new language, right? So they're learning the language of art, they're learning the language of design, um, and and that's the vocabulary is is not necessarily the same as the general English vocabulary, right? So even even if you grew up only ever speaking English, you're still learning. A, a new um, a, a very sort of um, specified variety of that language, right? And again, because the the way that communication works is it's about um, sort of co-constructing meaning by the people who are participating in the exchange, right? whether that exchange is oral or written um, that that the the idea that it, it sets up sort of a, a again like a false dichotomy to say the native speaker knows, the language learner doesn't know, so the exchange is uneven or one-sided, right? Rather than saying both people are contributing to this conversation, right? If we're if we're talking just about it, an an interaction between two people, right? And together we're going to create an understanding of what we're talking about, right? By through repetition, by asking questions, by mm-hmm. by explaining and re-explaining, by d- by doing all of these things that are happening, right in in, in an oral kind of context. Um, and and I think the other thing is that when again, when we assume that there's sort of a, a known and unknown uh, along this divide, that that we're missing the opportunity for um, creative invention and play with language mm-hmm. that. Um, can be in some ways uh, more accessible if it's not when you're, when you're working not in your mother tongue, right? Because we, if, you, if you grew up uh, from a very young age speaking a particular language, you're acquiring not just the grammar and the vocabulary, but also sort of habits of combinations of words that are not they're not inherently grammatical, but that we, we just uh, have a tendency to put together, right? So I was, I was looking one of these up this morning, sorry to <laughs> so I'd be So if you, if you say, if you, uh, so if I say this sentence, their claim was patently blank, right? Most people could, like there are many possibilities of words that you could put in there, but most people would say, oh, their claim is patently false, right? Uh, if I said their claim was patently true, it would sound strange because we don't, we don't put those two words together, but grammatically it's not, it's, it's not there's not a problem with, with it, but we, we just, there, there are these ways that we're sort of used to chunking words together. And this is not in English, this is in any language, right? Um, that that can be um, expanded or explored in different ways with uh, a, a, in opening up the sort of relationship to the language, I think. And I think that that's something that is absolutely overlooked, the, the sort of creative potential of what multilingual students are bringing to the table, which is so important if we're talking about art and design school, right? Yeah. Um, but when, when we have this sort of deficit model perspective of, Um, students' proficiency is not enough, is not okay, is not like a native speaker, then we completely um, eliminate all of this creative potential in what's happening in in language use and in communicative exchange.
2: And going back to the the dichotomy of the English speaker as the done learning, the other students as people that are always learning... It's just, I think it's really important to how this creates a horrible power dynamic yep. where English is in power and the other languages need to yes. get to that. Right. And how that reflects, talk, and then I'm going to design how that reflects in visual language, right? In visual communication. And I say this because I have a lot of students and we, we have talked about this and that they come, they come to, to the school looking to design and they call it, I didn't even know there was a thing, they call it international style uh-huh. which means that it has to look like apple or google or whatever uh-huh. big company in the us is doing uh-huh. so they come from whatever from their from their home countries and they want to give up any style that relates to their home culture and their home uh-huh. visual language in uh-huh. order to achieve this what what they call international style and they do that because i ask them like why are you doing this uh-huh. why are no why are we not working with this this u s aesthetics that you're looking at, mm-hmm.
1: combining
2: them with what you have from your own culture and mm-hmm. let's create new visual language and they're like, "Oh, I don't want to do that because mm-hmm. that's not going to get me a job mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so in a way they visually they and i call I don't know if this is the sentence might be might, might be weird, but visually they want to assimilate because they want to mm-hmm. get a job when they get out of school right. So I found my I find myself now. How do I balance it out? Because I understand uh-huh. that that moment that I know why why they are doing this, uh-huh. but I, it's also really fucked up that they're doing. Sorry, I said it. <laughs> I <It> came out. <laughs> well, already said it. So really <laughs> fucked up that they have to give up who they are in order to find a job, and it just drives me crazy. Uh
1: huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah and I mean, I mean, I think I think that um, that sort of circles back to our question of of sort of um, what what are our expectations of authority um, mm-hmm. in in an art context, in a design context, and also um, who who has the right to claim that authority? who has the right to challenge that authority? Um, does it does it have to remain consistent? Is it is it relevant in all contexts? If and and I think also um, sort of the to the counterpoint of what you're saying is um, does it mean that if if I come from Korea, say or India, does it mean that Apple isn't part of my sort of home cultural, home culture design aesthetic?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right. And 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 I think that the these are all super interesting questions, which again. Tend to get flattened or ignored um, when we have these hierarchies of power that are that are sort of dominating how we're constructing what knowledge is and sort of who has authority over it.
2: Yeah, and I think, any but that 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 becomes like this bigger colonization problem, right? Right, where big countries, the aesthetics and the visual language from big countries, it starts mm-hmm. taking over of what any other place is doing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's. To me it's a little bit of going back and understanding where the roots of where these visual languages are coming from right before before going into this I'm just gonna do this this is uh-huh. what this is right. what good design is
1: this is why like it does not right-huh oh, right.
2: yeah this is how design should look right but then right. we don't even we don't even know where that came from right mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. those aesthetics are and look the way they are
1: uh-huh. and unless
2: we start historicizing where they came from yeah then we're just giving power to what like a giving more power to this colonial visual language Uh and colonial in the context of today like more than colonial i want to say like western visual power right Mm
1: -hmm, like mm -hmm. a
2: westernized way of creating Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and I, i mean i think i think that this is a question um again for sort of all incoming students i feel like um students come in with particular ideas of, um, what art looks like, what design looks like. Um, and, and that they, they have a a context and a reason for why they have those ideas, right? So they've, because they've been in the world for 18-ish plus years, right? And, and, and have, (laughs) have, have, have circulated in different spaces, right? So, so I think that that's, but, but, but that, when when it becomes a question of um, how are we talking to international students about this, then we're sort of missing its relevance to all of our students, also. But but that when we when you're ta- like you're talking about um, when we sort of historicize across the board, like that that's useful for all of our students, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. it's not it's not just um, isolated to this particular population who. Um, people assume sort of don't know about a Western design, or don't know about um, uh, sort of uh, design canon. Sorry, my window's open and there's a
0: <laughs>
1: something going past. <back. laughs> but and, and but so I I think that that again is sort of indicative of this idea that kind of tradition of, like you said, that you can name either colonial or Western or whatever to sort of other international students and to other uh, multilingual students and to assume that there's sort of, a air quotes again, sort of bring them up to speed uh, to uh, an American kind of uh, perspective on art and design. Yeah, and
2: maybe uh, one, one thing that I wanted to talk about just to bring it to a physical space, because uh-huh. <laughs> we're like conceptually talking, how do you work with the physical space of your classroom to uh-huh. address a diverse and multilingual group of students? Uh-huh. Right, And here I'm just like, I'm, I'm talking like specifics, Because <laughs> well, when it gets to the physical space, I think it gets forgotten. And uh-huh. people are like, yeah, this is how the chairs are arranged. Sit uh-huh. down, we're going to talk. Uh-huh, and we're not uh-huh. we're not addressing that the physical space is also something that needs to be addressed for diverse students for multilingual students.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. I, I mean, I think for me, for me, it's it's um, we have we have we're, we're spatially challenged, <laughs> at my institution. so, so, so there are um, uh, you know, so so um, our access to rooms can can. Can be difficult, um, but but absolutely. I mean, I think that the, considering um, sort of uh, instruction delivery and the and how we're setting up the space to allow for um, you know sort of access to n- not just to kind of uh, uh, beyond a, a front facing everybody sit in rows and and look look up at the front kind of model, right, but also to um, make sure that there's, everyone has access to hear each other uh, mm-hmm. when when they're speaking, everyone has access to see the, the projector, the whiteboard, the chalkboard, the whatever, where, where there's information, um, where you could sort of um, present information uh, or sort of um, highlight key information that you're that you're presenting orally, that you could, you know, write a keyword on the board or something, but that that it's, you know, that it's written big enough so that everyone in the room can see it, that everyone's in a position where they have access to it. So I think, like, from from a language perspective, like those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. But I think you're you're thinking about it also in other ways.
2: Yeah, no, I, I I'm thinking that way, but also I'm thinking on moving tables, taking them yeah. out of the classroom, changing yeah, the seating arrangement, right? If and. Something that I I have learned is that I cannot ask some people to speak out loud. I know I speak really loud. That's Uh come from my family, but Uh then how do I make this pay for Do we move the shares closer to the presentation? Uh Do we do another sense? Do we just do it by writing online at the same time? Uh, Like, Uh how do we use new methods and new technologies to change the way the interaction happens between multilingual students in a classroom,
1: uh-huh, right? uh-huh.
2: And I think another, and the last thing I'll say is that I do love doing this with them, right? Uh-huh. With each group of students that come to uh-huh. my, class, my classroom. And it takes time, right? The first right. class, we spend a lot of time like, hey, today we're going to be doing presentations. How, we, how should we set up the room? Should we be uh-huh. on the floor? Should we be doing right. that? Today right. we're working in the class. Do you want to do a circle? Do you want to go right. outside? And, right. Also giving them that authority and giving yep, them, trusting yep. them that they yep. know what space is more, uh, that make them happier to do whatever yep. they want to do.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm,
2: and Because mm. they also, a lot of the time when you go to a classroom, you, the first thing you, a lot of students are like, oh, I'm not going to have fun here. This is uh-huh, a classroom. Right. I'm like, right. How do we right. change that? This should right. be fun. Come on. You're right. studying design. Right. Let's have fun. Let's right. break papers. Let's just do whatever right. the fuck we want in the classroom. Right. And I said fuck again, and I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> well, and I and I think I mean I think again like this is um, this is an extension of the idea of if if we assume that our our multilingual students and our international students need to be sort of need this kind of they're they're sort of missing this thing that these other students have, right? Then why would we ask them what they how they want the room to be set up? Why would we ask them? What they, um, you know, like where they want to be, if they want to be in the space or go outside, right? So, so I think again, like shifting, uh, like you said, sort of, sh- and and I think like it's definitely about um, happiness, but I think it's also about um, agency and access,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. we 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 want to make sure that we're allowing students space to to be and to learn in our mm-hmm. classrooms. Yeah. Um, I feel like we could keep talking about this forever. Um, I know,
2: I know. But I do, we, I do think yeah. it, a lot of it has to do with giving the students agency. Because yes. at the end, that's their classroom. And right. that's where they're learning. Right, right. Well, yeah. If I keep talking, it's going to be tomorrow. And we just
1: keep <laughs> right. talking.
2: And then I'm going to go whine. And then we're going to keep talking. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, then maybe maybe we should stop here. Um,
2: okay. It's
1: great to talk to you.
2: Thank you, Alice. I'll Talk to yeah. you
0: later. Okay. Sounds good.